All right. So if you turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20 this morning, turn with me to Second Chronicles 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hands. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time. I actually became a Christian as a child. Can I just see your hands if you became a Christian as a child in this room? Yeah, probably half of the room at least. But here's the deal. Although I was a Christian, I didn't start living a kingdom lifestyle until much later. And and as I meet with people who call themselves Christians, I I find that there's actually a huge disparity among the people who call themselves by Jesus's name. You know, there's some people who come to church on a Sunday, but the rest of their week, uh, their life kind of resembles a primetime sitcom. You know, just entrenched in the world, nothing different. And then why are there some people who every aspect of their life is just saturated and permeated with the kingdom of God? Well, I I was thinking about the word lifestyle. And and some of you guys might remember, does anybody remember a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And the, 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 the show was chronicling people who had become very wealthy. And the interesting thing is a lifestyle, which simply means uh, the way of life of a person or a group of people, the way of life. In the lifestyles of the rich and famous, what we saw was that riches affected every aspect of these people's lives. So it wasn't just the houses they lived in like this. It wasn't even just their cars. It wasn't even just their clothes, but it affected the food they ate. It affected the people they hang out with. It affected their activities. It affected where they went on vacation. Every part of the lives of these rich and famous people was affected by their wealth. Now, what I believe is that God wants the kingdom of God to be the same way, that when we enter into his kingdom, that every single component of our daily lives would be affected by him. Now, I need to tell you that there's several keys to entering into that. And these were keys that I wasn't practicing as a Christian in my early years that when I learned these, they let me walk through the door of the kingdom. And we're going to find that in second Chronicles today. Second Chronicles chapter 20 has a pretty uh, unknown story. You might not have heard a sermon on it, but it's going to be amazing as we unpack it. And here's the basic premise. The the children of God or the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. Now we're the children of God as the church. But these these people had a choice. And we talked about it in the first sermon in the series. God said, choose life. And he lined out for them how to choose life. And basically he lined out these disciplines. Whenever the children of God would choose these disciplines, it resulted in blessing. But so many times they departed from God's ways and it always led to their destruction, their demise. They would always end up in despair. So what I love about Second Chronicles chapter 20 is it's a, a passage that actually shows us what happened when the people of God started responding to what God was asking them. And let's just start in chapter 20, verse 1. You're going to really have to pay attention. We're going to have a lot of funny words in here, but I think you're going to understand what God's trying to speak to us today. It says this, verse 1, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. You've heard of fat, fat Jehoshaphat, right? This is uh, the king of Israel is who Jehoshaphat is. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. 
And from the other side of the Dead Sea, it's already in Hazan of Tamar. So what's happening here? The people of God get some bad news. And that bad news is there's a war that's about to be waged against you. And it's really close. Now, let me just make a side note for you for a moment. Do you know that there's a war going on against us as the people of God right now? There's never been a time in our nation where family and marriage and children are so under fire. In fact, in our nation right now, so many things that the Bible says are evil are being heralded as good. So many things and so many people who are trying to live a moral life according to the Bible are being heralded as bad. There's a war going on against us. And in fact, many of our religious freedoms in this country are being attacked. And so I think it would be wise for us to listen to this story because this is going to be very pertinent to us today. Let's just keep reading here. It says this, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaim a fast for all Judah. So he hears about this war that's coming and he's alarmed. He's scared. So my question is for you, when you see a war coming, whether it's in in a large setting or whether it's against your personal life, what do you do? What do you do? I I know some of us, you know, we we see things coming. And so we go, we're going to research. We're going to find out every single thing. I'm going to read every newspaper. I'm going to read every book. I'm going to just be glued to CNN to see what's going on. And so I can freak out more. And then some of us just, we just blah, blah, blah to our friends. You know, it's going so bad. Everything's horrible. We're going to hell in a handbasket. We just start complaining. That's what some of us do when we're alarmed. Some of us just freeze. Bah! We're just frozen in fear. Some people stockpile all kinds of resources in a bomb shelter, get preparing for Armageddon. I don't think we should do that. What does Jehoshaphat do? He, he decides, it says he resolves to inquire of the Lord with fasting by calling a fast. He calls a fast. When we see that we need God to break through in our lives, one of the greatest things you can do is fast. So what does fasting mean? Fasting is merely abstaining from food to engage in a season of prayer. Fasting is abstaining from food. Now you still drink water or you drink juices, but you're setting aside food in order to engage in a season of prayer. Now here's what I know about a lot of the body of Christ, we, we think that fasting is only for those extremist Christians, right? Those radical weirdos, right? Let me just point out that through the Bible, numerous people fasted. Moses fasted. He fasted a lot. Esther fasted. David fasted. Daniel went on a fast. It's incredible to see what happened in his life when he fasted. Elijah, Elisha, Peter, John the Baptist lived a fasted lifestyle. Most importantly, Jesus fasted. And and then here's what Jesus ends up saying to us, Matthew 6, 16 through 18, because he made it pretty clear that it was something that he was giving as a gift to his followers. He says, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast or a few radical ones are going to fast. He just says, when you fast, do not look like somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. I wonder what that looked like. Ah, fasting. You know, walking into church. Ah, fasting day, right? <laughs> but when you fast, put oil on your head. Okay, so at the end of the service, we're going to have some oil just dumping on people. 
And, um, and wash your face. You've got to wash your face after you put oil on your head. So, uh, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. I want to tell you that there's a reward given when we fast. Now, now hear me very carefully because sometimes people start thinking that we're earning God's love. You're not earning God's love. These spiritual disciplines, we're going to unpack three spiritual disciplines today. They're not to earn more of God's love. God loves you. But there is a reward. See, I I love all my Herbert kids. I, I love them no matter how they're acting. But I want to tell you, I reward their obedience. And that's what he's saying here. He's going to reward you. Now, just to make it clear, it's not just in the Bible and characters in the Bible that fasted. In, in history, people have fasted and seen tremendous results. The New England uh, territories, before we were a nation, they had a fear that Napoleon was going to come and attack. And so they called a national fast. Guess what? We're not speaking French today. Hallelujah. We're speaking English. Napoleon didn't come. The fast worked. 1840. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War is waging. Abraham Lincoln calls the nation to prayer and fasting. He actually has a day set aside for fasting. God repairs our nation. I love this. Maybe my favorite one, 1940. Winston Churchill gets on the radio and calls all of England to a day of fasting. It's in the middle of World War II. What happens? Two days later, Hitler unexplainably calls off his attack on England. And Winston Churchill, in his memoirs, writes back to that day as the most important day of World War II. Isn't that awesome? God uses fasting to alter the history of nations. And so it's something that we need to lock in on here. Now, let me just tell you, if you're not familiar with fasting... There's practical equipping sheets in the back. On the tables on the way out, I'd grab one of these. And this talks all about how to fast and how it's, it's actually safe when you do it in a right manner. Many people think, man, fasting is crazy. It's bad for me. Actually, it's good for you when you do it in a diligent manner because it gives your body a rest. It cleanses out your system. So fasting is a very powerful resource that God has given us. And it's not because God delights in our self-abasement. It's not that God wants to torture us. Fasting does this. It lets us tune in to God. I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I eat. But it's not just that. When I'm sad, I eat. Okay? But the interesting thing is when I'm angry, I eat. And, 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 but when I'm happy, I still eat. I, and when I get together with friends, I eat. And when I'm bored, I eat. I just eat, 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 eat. I'm always filling my life with food. But it's not just food. It's all kinds of busyness. It's all kinds of activity. And, and what fasting does is instead of, instead of just feeding myself every time I have any kind of emotion, instead of just always turning on the TV, instead of always putting in my, my earbuds, instead of always keeping myself busy, fasting slows you down. If you've ever fasted, you're all of a sudden, you're going, oh my goodness, <laughs> I can't move. It's, hey, let me just tell you, I'm not a good faster. I always, I, I remember when Joel Sanders went on this fast, Joel's our youth pastor, and I remember this girl looking at him and going, Joel, you just look so much like Jesus. No one's ever said that to me on a fast. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm ornery, I'm, I'm crabby, you know, I'm. I have to repent more to my kids, you know, but, but 
God is doing something in my life. And I get hungry. I get thirsty. I get thirsty for him. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, 3, it says, I'll pour out water on a thirsty land. Then later on, it says, I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring. The fasting is the the best way I know to make myself thirsty. Because I get desperate when I'm fasting. I want to encourage you to jump in these next three days with us. Maybe you've never fasted before. Let me just encourage you to go one meal or two meals and to set it aside to seek the Lord. Maybe you've done a day before. Jump into three days and and then come on Tuesday night and watch how it is when a a corporate body comes hungry to meet with God. It's awesome. Let's, Let's keep going here. So verse four, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, this isn't one of the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual discipline number one was fasting. This is not one of them. This is just a free tidbit to help you. What did they do? They unified. The people of Judah walked in unity. Now, I want to tell you that Psalm 133 says that there's a blessing released from heaven when we walk in unity as a church. I need to be really honest with you. There's plenty of people in this room that have every right to not seek unity, to, to, to be frustrated with people. There's people, even in this room probably, that have said hurtful things to one another. There's, there's in marriage, there, we have frustrations with each other. In families, we have frustration. In life group, we say things that are hurtful to each other. And so you actually probably have a right to be bitter in here. But I want to tell you that bitterness grows up, the Bible says, and defiles many. And when we start pulling back from people and we start dividing as a church, we're doing exactly what the enemy wants us to do. When we start feeling division in our hearts and we say, yeah, I'm just going to not talk to that person anymore. and I'm just going to be angry. You're falling right into the enemy's trap. But when you choose unity and it's a choice and it's something purposeful, then God releases his blessing on us. Now, look at verse five. It says, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether through sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in the presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Discipline number two, prayer. Spiritual discipline number two that will walk us into a kingdom lifestyle is prayer. You don't want to have fasting without prayer. Now, prayer is simply talking to God. If you're checking out Christianity for the first time, that many people are often doing that on Sunday mornings, prayer is simply talking to God. You're actually talking to the God of the universe. But here's here's what I see. There's several different types of prayer in in this prayer. And, And the first one that Jehoshaphat is doing is declaration. He's starting by declaring who God is. 
So every morning when I start my prayer time, this is how I started. I, I walk around declaring who God is. God, you're awesome. God, you're amazing. God, you're beautiful. God, you are so kind. God, you are so generous. You're so faithful. You're true. You're worthy. You're admirable. You're praiseworthy. I just walk around declaring who God is. And even if I'm doing that right now, I just sense my spirit rising up. Why? Because it's connecting with the greatest truth in all of the universe. And you're bringing God glory. And that's the highest end of man, is to glorify God. But watch what happens next. Verse 10. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out? He's basically saying, hey God, we didn't attack those guys. But now they're attacking us. By coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. The, the next component of prayer is intercession. Intercession. So after I declare who God is, then I start praying. And, and, and intercession is a fancy word to say, God, help. It's saying, hey, God, remember old Robbie down here? Uh, things aren't quite going for me uh, the way I need them to. Please, can you see this and can you help me? Help a brother out, Lord. That's what he's saying here. He's, he's saying, God, we're about to be attacked. Help, we don't know what to do. Now, l- let me tell you, I think most of us start praying when things are going bad. But I don't want my intercession to be limited to just when the crisis in my life. So I, I've been praying this prayer this past week. It's called the prayer of Jabez. Anyone heard the prayer of Jabez before? A few years ago, it, someone wrote a book on it. It became like enormously popular. So popular that like they started having prayer of Jabez study guides, prayer of Jabez CDs, prayer of Jabez tablecloths and paperweights. And businessmen were wearing prayer of Jabez ties. No lie. It's so embarrassing what we do, right? I mean, Christian marketing. Wow. Anyway. But, but now it's out of style. Why? Because they were just wearing the tie instead of praying the prayer. Now, th- th- this prayer works. And, and, and here's the story. Let me just read this prayer of Jabez to you real quick. It's, it, it's interesting. If I can find it. Pray, pray for a brother right now while, I, while I'm looking for this. Oh, good. Okay. First Chronicles 4.9. You know, sometimes we're looking in the wrong place. Amen. And we just need to look up. All right. First Chronicles 4.9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Now, let me just summarize that for a minute. His mother named him Bummer Man. Right? That's, that's lame. Right? So we think, oh, Jabez, such a sweet name. No, it means you caused me a lot of pain, son. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Let me just point out some great things to pray for in your intercession time. The first one, bless me. Lord, won't you bless me? I I like to look up at God and say, Hey God, if you're looking for someone to bless, Hey, I'm right here, right here. Little Robbie will take it right here, Lord. Just pour it on me. God loves 
to bless those who ask. It's not a wrong prayer to pray. Secondly, enlarge my territory. God, won't you increase my responsibility? Won't you increase my authority? Won't you increase my outreach? Won't you increase my opportunity? God, won't you shower me with more gifts? I tell you, God loves to bless Christians and give them more and more so that they can be resources to all those around them. Thirdly, he says, let your hand be on me. Some of you say, you know, I don't think God wants to give me too much because I'll probably get prideful or, you know, I'll get cocky or maybe I'll do wrong things with it. No, not if his hand is on you. You know, you're going this way and I'll say, no, you're not. His hand is on, whoa, you know, his hand is on you. We pray for God's hand on me. And, and, and not just to steer me, but to anoint me with power. And then the last one is protection. Lord, keep me far from pain. I, I'm praying protection over me continually. I, I was in the mountains uh, hiking over Christmas. And I, I, I think all of a sudden I should pray for protection for me and my family. And so I'm hiking all by myself on this mountain. And I start going, God... I just pray, you know, I pray the blood of Jesus to protect me from my family. And I have to admit, you've probably had this before. I, ha- I start having this doubt. Does this really work? Like, does it really work to pray for protection? People get hurt all the time. Things, bad things happen. Does this really work? At that moment, eight feet away from me, this animal darts out of a bush. I look at it and it's a mountain lion. And it's running from me. And I went, yes, Lord, it works. I'm going to pray protection. I got real embarrassed. I was like, so sorry, God, that I doubted your protection right there. And then I was like, yeah, I'm like, David, yeah, the lions are going away and backing off. Daniel, right? Shut those. Yeah, I, I, God was teaching me. I, we doubt sometimes. But just because we doubt doesn't mean it doesn't work. Did you hear me? I'm about to start preaching. Just because you doubt doesn't mean it doesn't work. So Jabez prayed protection and said, God heard his request. That's intercession. Now let's just keep going here. Verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 20 says this. This is such my prayer. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You ever have times where you don't know what to do? Like me every week. Every week I feel like I've faced with a situation, they say, hey, Robert, what should, what should we do? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, let's just ask God. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So look what happens next. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. The last component of prayer is listening. We don't just come and blab a bunch of words to the Lord. Then we take time, we come and we stand before him. We stand before him personally. We stand before him corporately. And we wait to hear what he's going to say. Now, I love this aspect. It says the men, their wives, their children, and the little ones. It's like including everyone. And this is so our heart at all peoples. That, that's why our children, we kind of disrupt the service and excuse them in the middle of the service. It's because we want our children with us in this room. We want them to worship next to us. Why? Because we're so tired of, of hearing of moves of God where the adults were on fire and then their kids walk away. That breaks my heart. 
And, and right now, the statistics in the body of Christ are that 80% of the kids that grow up in church walk away from the Lord and don't end up in church. But let me tell you another great statistic. 80% of the kids who worship next to their parents during the week walk with the Lord forever. And so we've purposed to live our life with our kids. That's why we include them in life group. That's why we have a children's conference for them at World Mandate. That's why we take them on mission trips. That's why we do outreach with our kids. Because we're determined for our kids to experience the kingdom with us. They're not just someone to be scattered off to childcare. We want our kids. They're going to be greater than us. The next generation is going to outrun this generation. Uh, I've loved being a part of the Antioch movement and so many of my older brothers and sisters in the Lord who are all over the world serving God in different nations, they've raised their kids right with them as unto the Lord and the vast, vast, vast majority have walked with God. I, I can't even count on one hand or they're, they're, I don't know how to say that, but there's so few kids that have walked away from the Lord. But the kids I encounter that were raised following the purposes of God included, they're more peaceful. They're more joyful. They're more godly. They're more passionate about God than their parents were. That's God's desire for each generation to outrun the former generation. And that's why we include our children in this. Now, let's keep moving because verse 14 says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benahiah, the son of Jael. And we're going to skip the rest. Verse 15, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle's not yours, but it's God's. Ooh, I love that word. Tomorrow, march down against them. This will be climbing up, uh, they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face him tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Several things I want to make note of in this passage. The first of all is this, and it's something that we experience in this church. We're praying, we're seeking the Lord, we're taking time to listen to him, and then all of a sudden his spirit comes on some dude named Jehaziel. We're just going to call him dude. It's a little hard to say Jehaziel. Uh, so the spirit comes on this dude, and, and, and he has a prophetic word for the people of God. So we're seeking the Lord, and then God's spirit falls on someone, and then they speak the word of the Lord. If you want to see this, come on Tuesday night to our, our prayer rally. It always happens as we come, come aside, set time aside to seek the Lord. And we're inquiring of him. God always releases prophetic words, both for individuals and corporately. It's amazing. And here's what his word was. It was, do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. And I wonder how many people God would say that to today in this room. You know, some trials we get into because of our own sin. We, we walk into them, our own stupidity. But I, I need to tell you that there's some impossible situations that you'll find yourself in that God placed you in. God actually places believers in impossible situations. God placed these guys in this impossible situation. Why? So that he can use you to advance his kingdom. So that he can use you 
so that the enemy can be defeated, so that he can draw you near because of your desperation for him, and in the end, for him to get more glory. You see, all of us want miracles, but few of us want to be in a situation where we're desperate for a miracle. Did you hear that? Everyone's, oh God, I want more miracles in my life. But you don't want the setup to the miracle. But God intentionally puts his followers up against insurmountable mountains so that we'll call out to him. And he's saying, hey, this battle is not yours. It's mine. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Just do what I command you to, and I'm going to fight for you. I I remember uh, this current house that we're living in that we actually bought. God spoke to us to buy a house. And I'm like, that's awesome, God. But have you seen my bank account? Like, I got goose egg, Lord. And I, I had no money to buy a house. And, but he spoke it. And so what had happened is money started coming in for a down payment. I was amazed at it. I'm like, okay, well, this is awesome. But then God shows us a specific house to buy. And all of a sudden I'm going, well, that's not possible, Lord. That house is not for sale. It's, I don't know if you've tried to buy something that's not for sale. It's hard. <laughs> and it wasn't just not for sale. It was tied up in the court system. But God, God started showing us this battle is not yours. It's mine. And after 18 months, I'll say that again, after 18 months, sorry. We saw the hand of the Lord work a miracle. And now we're living in the miracle. And that's a word for some of you today, that you're facing insurmountable odds, but God is saying the battle is not yours, but it's mine. I'm going to fight this for you. Just walk with me in it. Now watch what happens next, verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites and the Kohenites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Let's skip down to to verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. If you haven't picked it up yet, the third and last spiritual discipline we're talking about is worship. Is worship. He fell down and started worshiping. Then they started praising the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat appointed men. I, I love that it says men. Growing up in the church, only the women sang. They, ah, they were singing, and the men were like, you know, just standing there. Every once in a while, a man would sing, but they'd be like, I don't know why, but it was just not, like, culturally appropriate in my church for the men to sing. So they just stood there, you know, like, real men don't sing. Now, I want to tell you that real men get up and sing. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat said, hey, it's so important that, that, we're going to put you in front of the warriors. You know, we, we think, oh, you know, that, that's the little glee club men. You know, the little sweet singing men in the back. Oh, you know, and the real men are marching out with their warfare. No, he said, put the real men in front singing a song. That's how we're going to fight the battle. He said, this is how we fight with worship. So he appoints the men and puts them in front of the army. It's su- such a powerful statement right there. It says, for the splendor of his holiness, as they went out ahead of the army, ahead of the army saying, 
Give thanks for the Lord, for His love endures forever. Your worship is warfare. Your worship is warfare. Now, if you're a part of this church, you know how much we love worship. We have wonderful worship here. Stephen, our worship leader, is my brother-in-law. We spend a lot of time crafting worship, talking about the songs. We don't just pick cool songs or fun songs. We look at the words. Are they theology that exalts the name of God? Is the spirit on them? We savor our worship time. We're very diligent and we're very focused to host God's presence. But I, I want to tell you that your worship diet needs to supersede what happens on Sunday mornings. This is just the foundation. Actually, it's just the appetizer for a lifestyle of worship. Let me explain it this way. Stephanie, my wife's whole family lives in San Diego. So we will get together for these big family meals. Her parents, her brother and his family, her sister and her family and my family will all get together to have these big meals. But if I only ate when the whole family got together, I'd starve to death. Same is for you. If you only worship, if you only feed on God's presence in worship on Sunday mornings, you're going to have spiritual anemia. You're going to, you're going to starve. You're not going to have the nutrients you need, but that's why we have a lifestyle of worship. So here's what it looks like for me. Every morning I wake up and I immediately turn on worship music and then I read my Bible. And then afterwards I actually have a concerted time of worship. Where I'm, I'm walking around, I have the music cranking, I'm either pacing in my house or I, I walk outside. And I just, I worship until I start experiencing the presence of God. Whether I feel like it or not. Then I come back to the house and I turn on worship music through the whole house so my kids can wake up in an atmosphere of worship. You see, we need to fill our homes with an atmosphere of worship. Now, I'm not against all secular music, but I want to tell you that all music is not created equal. And so music that glorifies God and music that sings about his kingdom brings his presence into my house. And my kids get enough junk just being out in the world. So in my home, I want to cultivate. I'm preaching to some of you parents right now. In my home, I'm cultivating an atmosphere of worship. So it brings peace and joy. Then, Then we go on from there and... After we have our little family devotional, I get my car to drive. But guess what kind of music I have in my car? Worship music. I just want my day to be seasoned with worship. In fact, at all peoples, in our, in our staff meetings, we start every meeting with worship. It's a, a, a little privilege we have. I love it. And on the way home, I listen to more worship music. And every night before I go to bed, I step outside and worship a little. You want your life to be saturated because worship ushers you into the kingdom of God. Let's, let's keep looking. We're coming towards the end here. It says this, verse 22. As they began to sing and praise the Lord, set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. You know, we worship, God sets ambushes. Let me just say that again. We worship, God fights our enemies. Don't wait until after the battle to worship. You know, you're looking at a battle and saying, oh God, if, if, if my money comes in for my bills this week, then I'm going to really worship you. God, if my marriage survives, then I'm going to worship you. God, if my children finally obey me, then I'm going to worship you. 
No, you go into the battle with worship. And you worship knowing that as you worship, that's our responsibility. And then God fights our battle. That's his responsibility. I saw this so clearly in my mentor, Jimmy's life. Jimmy's going to be with us next weekend. He would go through these hellacious experiences. I remember his son, they found all these cysts on his brain while he was in the womb. All these cysts. And they had these horrible predictions of what would happen to his son. But instead of falling into despair, he just pressed in and worshipped. I just see him walking around and worship. By the time his child was born, all the cysts were gone. It was beautiful. I, I watched him as he was going into Afghanistan, risking his life and meeting with General Dolston, like the head of the rebel army, and he just worshiped God. I watched him as two of our, our missionaries, they were like daughters to him, were imprisoned by the Taliban. And instead of just sinking in despair, he worshiped. And the amazing thing about Jimmy is in the midst of trials, people wanted to be around him because the sweet presence of God was being released from his life. Let me just ask you a question. Do people like to be around you in your trials? When you're going through a hard time, do people say, you know what? There's a sweetness. Yeah, they're suffering. They're challenged. You know, this whole blessed life series, I'm not saying that your whole life's going to be happy slappy. No, God is going to put you into situations where you're desperate for him. And in some situations we're going to be in because the enemy's coming against us. So all of life is not going to just feel blessed all the time. But I want to tell you, as you press in and worship, his presence comes. And Jesus draws near. And so many people I talk to, in the midst of their trials, they find Jesus in the most intimate way. They look back on their life and say, the sweetest time I ever had with the Lord was when I was in the midst of the strongest and greatest trial of my life. But you're not going to find it without worship. Let's finish this out. Verse 23. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir. Wait, wait a second. They were all attacking together, but now they rise up against each other to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So all of a sudden, the enemy is destroying itself. I want to tell you, your worship, your prayer, your fasting turns the enemy against itself. The Lord brings a confusion against the enemy. And they annihilate themselves, and let's just finish with this, these last few verses, when the men of Judah, that's the good guys, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, all they saw were dead bodies. Ha! That's awesome. They were lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. Of course they praised the Lord. God fought their battle, and then all of a sudden they plunder the enemy, and all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, we got so much stuff, I have to keep coming back. Sounds pretty Jesus-y, doesn't it? When we align ourselves... I'm not saying all of life is going to be easy. I'm not saying there are not going to be challenges. But God tells us that as we align ourselves and we live a kingdom lifestyle, his blessing comes on us. And so what ends up happening is they're not just 
protected. They're not just unified. They're not just experiencing his presence. But they end up blessed even materially at the end. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things are going to be added to you. That's what God is encouraging us into, I believe, for these next three days. That would rise up as a church family and would say, we're going to step aside from the worldly lifestyle. We're going to enter a kingdom lifestyle. We're going to have a season of worship, prayer, and fasting. And God, we're going to give you a chance to pour out on our lives. Why don't we stand up? We're going to start this next three-day season and actually this week coming up to our biggest event, World Mandate, with just a time of consecrating ourselves with Holy Communion. And so just right now, I'm going to encourage you, the ushers, to go ahead and pull out the tables. And what we're going to do practically is you're going to step out from the right side of your row. You're going to come down to the table in front of your section, and then you'll go back to the left side of your row. Then hold the bread and hold the cup in your hand, and we'll finish the service by taking it together. And as we do, we'll be remembering what Jesus has done for us. Come now.